You're listening to the UMentor Talk Show, now available on the Umoja app. I'm your host, Imran Daramsi, and on this weekly talk show, we invite professionals and teenagers to take us through their journeys and give us advice. Um, remember, if you have any questions for our panelists, you can always leave them in the live comments, and we will get to them during the show. And if you have any questions before the show, for the next show, um, you can leave them in the Umoja app's Inspire platform. And let's just mention a bit about that before we start the show. Um, so the Inspire platform, it is a question and answer platform for career advice in our Shia community. As a rising professional, you can ask for great advice from, from other professionals. And as a mentor, you can give advice to our community's future professionals and students too. Um, and it is available via the Moja app on Android and iOS. So we encourage you to download that and sign up. Today's speaker is Fatima Zaidi, a senior at DePaul University studying journalism and broadcasting. She writes for 14 East, Reclamation Magazine, and Brown Girl Magazine, um, and she uses her platform to advocate for human rights. She's become a globally recognized voice due to her contributions within Muslim communities as a public speaker, and she spoke on behalf of the Al-Baqi organization at the White House in 2019. So let's bring Fatima on here. Assalamualaikum Fatima, how are you? Waalaikum salam Imran, alhamdulillah, I'm doing good. And thank you so much for having me on the show. It's an honor for me to be here today. Thank you so much for coming on. We're so happy um, to have you and to have some journalism representation. So let's start. Let's tell, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, um, your education and your interests? So my interest for journalism, um, we actually have to go back way in time. We actually have to go back to about eighth grade. Um, and the reason why I say eighth grade is because that was the time when I had kind of come to the conclusion about what I wanted to do as a career. Um, and it wasn't journalism, surprisingly. I actually wanted to become a doctor. I wanted to become a brain surgeon. Um, and I was dead set on becoming a neurosurgeon for a couple of years in my middle school education. And um, due to certain events that happened in my life, I decided that the medical career was just not really going to be a suitable fit for me. Um, mm -hmm. But it was at that time where when I entered high school and I started taking English classes and advanced English classes, APs and honors, um, my teachers really cultivated me to explore what I could do with the power that I had for writing. Um, and their cultivation had a critical role in me deciding to give journalism a try and to give mm -hmm. um, myself an opportunity to explore um, what it's like to write news articles, to interview people, to share right. compelling stories, creating infographics and things like that. And what I will tell you is that there is a very stark contrast between writing scholarly essays and writing mm -hmm. news articles. Um, the level of comprehension differs a lot in the sense that you really have to keep things concise, simple, straightforward, direct, informative, um, and factual when it comes to journalism reporting, as opposed to obviously in scholarly essays, you have more room to write however much you want at a very scholarly right. level. Um, so that's how my interest in journalism 
sort of began. And once I got further encouragement from my journalism teacher in my senior year of high school, that's when I definitively made the decision that this is the best career for me. And Mm -hmm. this is what I'm going to pursue after my four years are finished at high school. So we didn't exactly cover this in the pre-interview, but I feel like this is a really important question to ask. What is journalism? So journalism in and of itself, it is the art of reporting news stories that are happening in the moment. Um, They are also Mm -hmm. making sure that the public is, the general public is well educated on current events that are happening. Um, And this isn't just limited to international or national level news stories. It is also critical that your local audience is aware of what is going on. Um, Mm -hmm. Also making sure that the public is made aware of any current events issues, correspondencies, and things like that. Um, And journalism in and of itself, it's all about transparency, and it's all about telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And we can see that through the many, many investigations that we have seen conducted by powerful and um, empowering journalists throughout their careers, Um, Mm -hmm. whether it be undercovering, you know, um, what is going on to, like, you know, uh, special education students in um, special education programs in Chicago, or Mm -hmm on a more political scale, on a much larger scale, more notably, we can see, you know, what's happening in the impeachment trial. Um, So these are all things, journalists, they realize the critical role they play in educating the public and they execute that power in the best ways by creating as many compelling stories as they can by Mm -hmm. obviously the cardinal rule of journalism and any storytelling covering both sides of the story, um, factual, Mm -hmm. correct information, and obviously, you know, having that timeliness element to their news stories as well, where all journalism stories are um, published as soon as possible with the correct information so that when an individual or when a general public makes a decision, they are able Mm -hmm. to do so based on acquiring all of that um, necessary and full information as opposed to, you know, kind of just going off the whim and repeating what everybody else is saying that may or may not be true. Right. Okay. Um, So thank you for that. And let's go back to your own story for a second, because I think it's very interesting how you faced some pushback in your community when you decided that you wanted to try to pursue journalism. So can you talk about that um, and kind of how you stayed committed to your decision? So I think the first setback that I experienced in my career um, from the community was, first of all, they told me that at a very young age, you should know what you want to do. And the Mm -hmm. reason why I said eighth grade was because actually there were some members in our community who said, oh, you know, my child, they knew what they wanted to do at eighth grade. So you should know what you want to do right now. Um, Or, you know, so-and-so, they knew what they wanted to do when they were in sixth grade. So, you know, like, Mm -hmm. what's the holdup? You know, by the time you get to high school, you should have a certain field of interest um, that you want to go into. And I always had an interest for writing, for reading, um, and for English English literature. Um, Mm -hmm. And I knew that, you know, if like my medical track didn't work out, I was going to become an English professor. And I had dreams of becoming an English professor at Oxford. Mm Um, But other than that, when I made the decision to go into journalism, there were 
a lot of setbacks in the sense that, for example, um, I was told by multiple people that this is yeah. not a successful career. Um, this is not mm-hmm. a career that was going to bring me great levels of wealth um, because mm-hmm. obviously in journalism, when you start off on a local market, you're not really going to make six figures as you would do yeah. at a national local ne- at a national network. Mm-hmm. Um And they also told me that, you know, we really don't think it's a suitable career for a woman because you're going to be traveling a lot. You're going to be, you know, covering national stories. And then the next week you're going to be covering international stories and considering some of the, you know, horrific incidents that journalists do experience on the front lines. They were just Mm -hmm. saying that we really don't think this is the best safe career for you as a woman. And that kind of made me question that, you know, I always hear this, that this career isn't good for a woman, that career isn't Mm -hmm. good for a woman. So it really just got me thinking that, you know, at this point, what even is a good career for a woman? If, you know, we can't do stuff that makes us happy, that really empowers our talents that we have to Mm -hmm. showcase to the world. Um, um, but even so, you know, they they were setbacks, but I yeah. took those setbacks as motivation that, you know what, I understand and I realize that there is a huge lack of Muslim representation in the newsroom. And above mm-hmm. all else, there is a huge lack of representation of diversity in the newsrooms um, on a nationwide Definitely. scale, especially on a mm-hmm. local scale as well. So I realized that if I want to be a change in society, if I want to become the change I want to see in society, I'm just going to have to put my step forward, put my foot down and be like, you know, this is this is what I want to do. And this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm 22 now. So it's been quite a while since I've mm-hmm. experienced those setbacks. But still, there mm-hmm. are people, women now in the community who say, Oh, you know, I know a mutual friend of mine, her daughter, yeah. she wanted to become a journalist, it didn't work out. And she had to go back into medicine. And I said, you know, everyone's path in their career is different. Some make it very quickly, and some need a little bit more time. But I'm not about to accept defeat just because other individuals have preconceived notions about a career that is very stellar and very noble. Right. And that's interesting um, that you mentioned at the end that it's noble. So that's often a word that isn't associated with journalism. So can you explain? Why why would you say that it's noble? So what I mean by noble, um, and I can only say this mainly on my personal experiences, Mm -hmm. but journalism has humbled me a lot as a person. And the reason why I say it has humbled me a lot as a person is because I cover global news stories. I cover Mm -hmm. humanitarian issues on my social media platforms. Um, And even in some of the works that I have written, 90% of my articles are what is happening on an international global scale in the world. Um, And Mm -hmm. seeing what happens to some of these communities, seeing what happens to some of these women who are my age and not much older than I and even younger Mm -hmm. than myself, it really does break my heart. And knowing the power that I have of, you know, writing for different platforms and having a very large outreach of people to read my stories, whether it be over 15,000 people on Instagram or over 135,000 people on Instagram, just that fact in general makes you realize that the role you have in this career and further Mm -hmm. the role that you're going to play in this world is so great that you don't even realize it until 
you write a story and then you have maybe one or two people or even an entire group of people reaching out to you and saying thank you for reporting the story and ultimately thank you for reporting all of the facts and for shedding lights on uh, shedding light on this issue and that mm -hmm. is why i say that you know journalism is a very noble career because it really does put things in perspective for you about what you may think is quite trivial or is like quite detrimental in your life. But when you start reporting on these issues, you are put in this position where you have to acknowledge that what I'm experiencing is quite trivial compared to what others overseas are experiencing in their daily mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe going off of that a little bit, can you tell us about some of your favorite stories that you've been a part of? And we have some things mm -hmm. that you shared with us. So um, I can show those too, as you talk about So that. the first story that um, it, I would say was my most interesting piece, it was actually my first hard news story that I ever reported. Mm -hmm. And um, this was back in fall of 2019, so October 28th, when um, former President Donald Trump was arriving in Chicago. Um, there was okay. an anti-Trump rally that was organized right outside of Trump Tower. Um, mm -hmm. And these are some of the pictures that I had taken. And it was an incredible experience um, going there, seeing this seeing this large crowd of um, mm -hmm. anti-Trump uh, protesters um, and really coming together as a community to, you know, oppose all of um, sort of the legislations and the comments and the entire administration as a whole, really. Right. And what was really interesting is that that woman that you see in one of the pictures where she has a mm -hmm. little notebook paper um, yeah, for Trump uh, president, she was actually mm -hmm. the only Trump supporter I saw at that entire rally. And I wow. reached out to her and I interviewed her and I was like, aren't you afraid that, you know, you're kind of like the only one in this large swarm of mm -hmm. people that are very much anti-Trump and they're not afraid to vocalize that? And she was completely unafraid. She she was brave. She said, oh, well, you know, I'm doing the same thing these guys are doing. I'm exercising right. my First Amendment rights of supporting him. So mm -hmm. it was very intriguing to see so many different shared opinions, difference of opinions. Um, and because I was, I, I'm still a student, but during that time when we were um, student reporting, you know, there mm -hmm. were a lot of people where when we reached out to them, they were kind of like, oh, well, I don't really believe in you being a journalist like, what are your credentials like where are my comments going to be shared so that was kind of a I little see, bit of a okay. setback that we had to experience um right. but it definitely was extremely interesting and um a couple of my classmates after we were done with our assignment for the day they kind of borrowed banners or, or like um mm -hmm. signage from different rallies and they were kind of like oh you know i'm gonna start protesting too and i kind of just hung around and it was it was very, very nice. It was very interesting. Um, and I know that it's a moment that I'm never going to forget in my life. Mm -hmm. Just seeing the unity that I saw in all of these local Chicago citizens and especially who yeah. drove um, from out of state as well. And another um, 
thing that I noticed in this rally that I unfortunately wasn't able to take a picture of was there was actually a little child. She was maybe around four years old and um, she had a sign that said, you know, Trump could really use a timeout right now. And I thought it was the most <laughs> adorable thing that I had ever seen. So, funny. so like entire families had come out and run to mm -hmm. protest against Trump um, in its full form um, with whistles and um, air horns and all of that, making signages on the spot, really coming yeah. together as a community to vocalize to the entire world that we are in no way, shape or form supporting of what this administration is doing and what it will do in the future. That's amazing. So um, how about I think you shared with me some of the articles that you've written. So do you want to um, talk us through those? A bit. Yeah, sure. Um, so the most recent article that I wrote was for 14 East, which is DePaul mm -hmm. University Clinical Award winning magazine. Um, okay. And this one basically shed light on the strong support for Kamala Harris among South Asian women, but obviously mm -hmm. acknowledging the criticisms and some of the actions that Kamala Harris is responsible for as her time as a prosecutor. And this was a very powerful piece in the sense that mm -hmm. one of my interview contacts, um, I never really had anyone cry during my interviews before. Mm -hmm. And one of my interviewees, she cried while sharing her story. And mm -hmm. I remember one of the things she told me was that it feels so good not to be different anymore. And it feels so good to see that difference is being embraced in this administration and in the world um, in the form of, you know, the second highest position in office. Um, and right. that really sort of, you know, really opened my eyes a little bit that, you know, is change really that bad that no South Asian woman or no South Asian in general or no Asian in general or no Hispanic or African American in general or any individual of the ethnic minority communities are given a mm -hmm. chance to really accelerate legislations to their best forms in these high positions of office. Um, so that was definitely a very compelling piece that I wrote. And it was actually my first political piece that I wrote as well. Oh. So Oh, it was definitely a different um, arena of writing than mm -hmm. international reporting. So um, yeah. I really do give credit to my editors as well for really mm -hmm. making this a learning experience for myself. Um, and it was extremely nice. And mm -hmm. another um, one of my favorite international uh, stories that I wrote was what celebrating Ramadan looks like during a pandemic. Um, I really enjoyed this story sort of covering how Ramadan was celebrated in Indonesia, in Nigeria, oh, uh, in the um, in the UK and in mm -hmm. other areas like that. So it, and especially in India as well. So it was really nice when I got a text from my editor and she reached out to me and said, uh, I actually have this pitch um, of mm -hmm. wanting to know how Ramadan is going to be celebrated in different areas around the world. And I actually want to give you first dibs on this story. And that really mm -hmm. made me feel happy that, you know, she knows that I am Muslim and she knows and she that this is a very you. devout, mm -hmm. you know, time in our, right. um, in our Islamic uh, lunar year. And she reached mm -hmm. out to me and she gave me this opportunity to write. And I was extremely thankful for it. Mm -hmm. um, the next article that I am extremely proud of is mm -hmm. actually an investigation piece that oh, I okay 
the leader of. Um, so this one basically shed light into the detention centers, the child detention centers in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we decided to go about this investigation was first of all, when I pitched this idea in the classroom, um, there were already four ideas that uh, the other students had found compelling and they wanted to pursue. But my um, professor, Christopher Bury, who is a known mm -hmm. icon for his contributions of uh, anchoring for ABC Nightline back in like the 90s, he said that, mm -hmm. you know, I am actually very intrigued about this story and I want to see yeah. the research on this story. So our investigation basically highlighted um, that there are detention centers for children in Chicago, but also wow. taking a look into how these children are being treated, how they're being handled, mm -hmm. um, and obviously shedding light on what the detention process is like or the detaining process is like for a child. Um, so we actually had an interview with the senior director of Heartland Alliance. It was his first ever um, on the record interview ever to be conducted in Chicago. And the mm -hmm. first time he ever did it was with student journalists, it was with us. And he was telling us okay. that, you know, we do have Muslim children and we do have Juma prayers every Friday and Ramadan is coming up. So we're getting ready for that. And then after that, we're gonna get ready for Eid. So it was mm -hmm. a very nice compelling piece into um, mm -hmm. obviously discovering this untold Told part about our Chicago city that not a lot of people yeah. know about. It made the front cover of our student newspaper, and it was mm -hmm. a brilliant piece that all of us had worked together on. Um, and then amazing. the last piece uh, that I'm proud of, um, it's not what it looks like. So this one also was kind of like a hard news reporting story. Um, mm -hmm. This basically highlights the impacts, the economic impacts that COVID-19 had on Chicago's Chinatown. So it shed mm -hmm. light. And as you can see, like the streets and the sidewalks yeah, are completely desolate. Yeah, so yeah. that was what the mm -hmm. entire story was about, that Chinatown in any major city is a very culturally thriving tourist attraction for locals and for um, people who come out of state. However, mm -hmm. in this situation, after COVID hit, the entire um, Chinatown was completely deserted. There was mm -hmm. a huge loss in the profit margin. There was a markup, uh, markup of up to 50% in losses. Um, Restaurants were shutting down, you know, stores were shutting down, family businesses were completely suffering um, after mm -hmm. they've had decades of thriving businesses and successful yeah. years. Um, so it was a very, it was a heartbreaking piece to know that at the time that when I was writing this piece, there were waves of xenophobia that were happening in Italy. So when I had reached out in this restaurant in particular, when I visited the owner, he was telling mm -hmm. me that, you know, this really is not your place to write anything. It's not your place to say anything. Um, it's best if you don't say anything at all. And at that point, I didn't really mm -hmm. realize what he meant. But after I had taken into account, you know, some of the things that were happening overseas with the Asian communities in light of the right. first cases of COVID, that really kind of put things in perspective to me that, you know, these in this entire community is scared. They're terrified of what the media will say about them and what the media mm -hmm. is saying about them and what is happening to Asian communities um, overseas. So it was an extremely compelling piece. Unfortunately, I couldn't go too much into it because um, right in the middle of me writing this piece, our university shut down and okay. lockdown had been enforced. So we had to stay home. Right. But um, 
from the information that I gathered, it was a piece that I was extremely proud of that I had given a chance to this community to share mm-hmm. their thoughts, their stories, and their testimonies um, in the light in light of early COVID. It's incredible. So thank you, thank you so much for sharing those. Um, so I have um, another question that is a bit about like maybe the next generation of Muslim female journalists. What if there's someone who's in a similar situation as you? Um, they think they might be interested in journalism, but they might um, have similar kind of community pushback. What do you think they should do both in like the community sense and also like what classes maybe should they take in high school? So in the community sense, you know, community setbacks are always going to be there. And and like I mentioned earlier in the interview that, you know, there's always going to be these comments that this isn't a suitable career for a woman. And obviously, when you ask these individuals, none of them are going to have a clear answer. What is the right career for a woman or for any individual yeah. for them? So you really have to make the decision of what is going to be the right career for you. And like I also mm-hmm. mentioned, there is a huge lack of Muslim representation in the newsroom. And on top of that, there is a huge uh, lack of representation of, um, you know, diverse. There's a lack of diversity in the newsroom as well. So you have the opportunities and you have the outlets and the platforms to really make a thriving, successful future for yourself. So in regards to what the community says, you know, it's that one saying (laughs) that we've been told time and time again, in one year and out the other kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Alhamdulillah, Mm -hmm. like my parents have been completely supportive of my career. Mm -hmm. Um, Even more so now that I'm doing broadcasting, my parents are like completely involved and they're invested. You know, they're Mm -hmm. giving me suggestions on where I should go out and shoot like B-roll footage or, you know, how Mm -hmm. I should go about shooting it and things like that. Um, They even give me news story ideas of what I should write about. Um, So my entire family has been incredibly supportive of my journey. So I think that completely drowned the whole setback that I experienced um, on a community level. In terms of classes, um, so obviously when you knock out your general education courses, um, you're going to go into what is called introduction to news reporting. So you're going to be taught like the basic AP styles of reporting. You're going to be taught um, how to write a very simple, concise article. Um, You're going to be taught about the art of headlines, um, upper deck style, lower deck style. You're going to be taught how to conduct successful interviews, how to fact check. Um, And then once you get the baseline information down, then that is when I would suggest you take um, an actual news report class. So that's mm-hmm. when you gather all of the skills that you have learned at an introductory level, and you execute right. those skills by writing actual news stories. And some professors, they might ask you to focus on a B assignment, which basically, um, you cover a certain news topic happening at a local, national or international mm-hmm. level, and you write um, small articles that lead up to a larger article that you would obviously submit as a final project. Then mm-hmm. I would suggest just take an introduction to online reporting because journalism, obviously, with social media and with mm-hmm. websites, with newsletters, and all of these new technological advancements, it is becoming more online than in print. Yeah. So I would definitely suggest taking an online reporting class where you learn how to manage and create a blog, where you learn how to create infographics, so you have interactive elements to your stories. Those look really good in a portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I took investigative reporting because the idea of investigative reporting appealed to me a lot. And I thoroughly enjoyed right. that class of filing FOIAs, going undercover, you know, doing all these different things. Mm -hmm. It was an extremely, um, I would say it was actually like a glamorous experience because, you know, obviously <laughs> wow. in like in, in like the film industry, you kind of see you know, like this very intense meeting of like a journalist right. in like an SUV with like, you know, this mm -hmm, one like mm -hmm. political figure. And they're like, here's yeah, like yeah, a manila yeah. envelope and has everything you need to know. Obviously, it's not like that. Um, <laughs> but the, just the idea of, you know, like uncovering stories that are not known by the general public is extremely mm -hmm enthralling and it's liberating so i thoroughly enjoyed that class um if you're going into foreign correspondency international reporting any sort of international reporting class is brilliant mm -hmm. if you're going into broadcasting that's a completely different track of um television yeah. news reporting courses writing for broadcast advanced news broadcasting so all of these different classes that i am listing just go it just goes to show that there are so many different things that you can conquer within this um, growing mm -hmm. career field. So if you want to go into feature writing, fashion, sports, obviously sports is a little bit more harder and more competitive to get into as opposed yeah. to broadcasting. But there are so many different things you can do that the possibilities are endless. And whoever wants to go into this career, I can assure mm -hmm. you that in no time you will find a set passion and interest of writing. And once you sort of nail that down, everything starts falling into place. Mm, okay, thank you for that. So um, we have some comments, <laughs> no questions, but some comments in mm -hmm. our YouTube. So I have, and we also got a question on our Inspire platform. So perhaps while you're answering um, one of these, we we can like put those these comments up. Um, so I think we'll focus on the first one because we've kind of gone through that second one already. Um, and the question is, when you cover a story, is it sometimes hard to be unbiased when it's something that affects you deeply? And that was, again, on our Inspire platform. So this is actually a very interesting question um, because mm -hmm. I know that every journalist at some point um, experiences this. Um, so actually, recently, when I created a news package about um, the farmer protests that are happening in India right now, um, mm -hmm. when I saw the video footage about what was happening and when I saw all of these, you know, gut-wrenching testimonies um, that these farmers were sharing, it it was hard to be, you know, unbiased because you could, it, it didn't take, you know, like an average person to see that this was an entire injustice happening to these yeah. 250 million um, farmers. So it was difficult in the sense that, you know, when I was writing the story, I was like, all right, how do I make the story in a way that isn't too emotion centered, that, mm -hmm. you know, encompasses all the facts, um, has a like has a steady ground of reporting, has mm -hmm. fair and accurate reporting. But alhamdulillah, you know, like, when you start writing these news stories again everything just starts falling into place because once you sort of master the fact that every single news article you write has to contain the truth has to contain fair and accurate reporting these like mm -hmm. i i call these the cardinal rules of um journalism the truth and fair and uh, fairness and accuracy. So once you master these three qualities, it's extremely easy to write a very compelling news story that shares not only both sides to the story, but also 
you know, shares the um, factual information to back up everything that you're sharing in your news story as well. So mm-hmm. you always have to remember that every story that you're going to write, it needs to encompass the truth and it needs to encompass all of the information that is necessary for the general uh, for the general public to make an academic decision on their stance on a certain topic. And that has mm-hmm. sort of helped me navigate the way on um how to creating a compelling news story and in some cases not not really so much when you're writing a news story for like a publication but in a classroom setting when you are having these setbacks you know you are more than welcome to reach out to your instructor and kind of being like um you know this story is kind of hitting close to home but i want to make sure that people know about it so what are some ways Mm -hmm. that i can um sort of take heed to in order to making sure that this isn't too emotion or opinions centered um, and more on Mm fact-based and obviously in the editorial process um, especially if you're writing a political piece editors go extremely hard when it comes to fact checking Um, so you really can't go wrong when it comes to um, you know having uh, like a bias when it comes to any sort of story And obviously, if you do write a news story about a current event issue and you feel as if you have more to say, you know, there is an entire like opinions and editorial section in different publications where you can also share your opinions as well. But really wanting Mm -hmm. to make sure that there is a distinction between what you are presenting to the world as a news reporter versus what you are presenting to the world as strictly opinion. So by making the distinction between news and opinion, um, and once you find like this, uh, not even like the silver lining between that, but once you make that division clear, Mm -hmm. then everything else, it naturally falls into place. Uh, Everything in journalism, because it's so simple and it's so concise, Mm -hmm. you really can't go wrong when it comes to writing a news story. Mm. Okay, well, great, thanks. And I think that is a really important point that you made just there. Um, so we are unfortunately out of time, but I wanted to squeeze in one question. Um, what is your final piece of advice for our listeners, like in general? You have a voice that can shake the mountains. I don't say this metaphorically at all. I say this extremely mm-hmm. literally. Um, you see all of the persecution that's happening in the world right now you see the waves of injustice um you see all the corruption that's happening on Mm -hmm. a national scale as we have seen with the sad impeachment trial um and also what we are seeing on an international scale as well don't ever think that when you write a story no one will listen to it no one will read it i can assure you there are hundreds upon thousands of people that are wanting Mm -hmm. to see these issues being covered from so many different perspectives by so many different people with so many different schools of thought this is that career for you if you feel as if it is for you where you can accelerate to the highest levels and you won't even realize it until you get there Mm -hmm. um so it's a like i said it's a very noble humbling it's a very interesting career it's a very competition driven career i i will stress out that there is a lot of competition involved in this career um and it's not to be taken lightly however now that we have Muslim students like myself and we have Muslim experts mm-hmm. that have had their um, shared experiences in foreign correspondency, television news, and in print journalism that are coming forward, seize this opportunity. If you like journalism, just go through with it. 
community mm-hmm. will say what they want to say, like I've mentioned a couple of times before. But inshallah, alhamdulillah, if your intentions are to bring awareness and to, you know, give a voice to the voiceless, you will thrive and you will flourish in this career. And I can attest to that based on the amount of success I have achieved in like not even a full two years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay. Um, thank you very much um, for sharing all your advice and your stories and showing us your articles. Um, it is our honor to have you on the show. Thank you, Iman. It was an honor for me to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the You Mentor Talk show um, and tune into the show next week and every week at 3 p.m. Um, and next week we have a professional show and the week after that we should have another Umoja community voice show. And remember, you can always catch our previous episodes, both for the talk show and for the community voice show on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts and our website. Um, And this was brought to you by Umoja Arish Foundation, uniting and empowering the Shia community.